This podcast includes frank discussions of mature themes that may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. This podcast is intended to provide encouragement and support through personal storytelling. The views expressed are the opinions of the participants and not intended to be medical, legal, clinical, or professional information or advice of any kind. Welcome to the Bubble Hour. 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 Welcome, 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 welcome to the Bubble Hour. I own it. I did that. Not proud, but that was me. And when I face it, I take back a little dignity. Not looking for excuses. I just want to be free from the power. Weakness head on me. Jean McCarthy, and you're listening to The Bubble Hour. Hello, and welcome to The Bubble Hour Archives, a treasure trove of episodes ranging from 2012 to 2022. I'm recovery advocate and author Jean McCarthy. I joined The Bubble Hour as a host in season two. Together with other hosts over the years, Ellie, Lisa, Amanda, and Catherine, we all extend to you our gratitude for listening and a heartfelt wish that this podcast will find a welcome home in your recovery toolkit. The resources mentioned on the show are available at thebubblehour.com, including information on the online support group called the BFB, or Booze Free Brigade, often mentioned on the show. Now, if you're hearing this message, you're listening to one of our free archived episodes, and we'll make sure that there are loads of these available for you to enjoy. These are partial versions of the original recordings, and if you want to hear more, you can listen to full versions and the entire back catalog ad-free by joining us on Patreon. So just head to patreon.com slash thebubblehour to learn more. I'll also put a link in the show notes to make it even easier for you to find that. So, all right then, enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. This is Amanda, and welcome to the Bubble Hour, where real people tell their stories of alcoholism and recovery. I'm here with my co-hosts, Ellie and Lisa. Hi, ladies. And we also have two special guests tonight, Holly and Angel. Tonight's show is about the importance of boundaries. Healthy boundaries create healthy relationships. Unhealthy boundaries create dysfunctional ones. By establishing clear boundaries, we define ourselves in relation to others. To do this, however, we must be able to identify and respect our needs, feelings, opinions, and rights. Others, otherwise, our efforts would be like putting a fence around a yard without knowing the property lines. Those of us raised in dysfunctional families have probably had little experience with healthy boundaries. Therefore, learning how to establish them must be an important goal in our personal growth in order to achieve this. However, we must overcome low self-esteem and passivity, learn to identify and respect our rights and needs, and become skilled at assertively taking care of ourselves and relationships. This process allows our true selves to emerge, and healthy boundaries become the fences that keep us safe, something we may never have experienced in childhood. Boundaries can be physical or emotional. Physical boundaries define who can touch us, how someone can touch us, and how physically close another person may approach us. Emotional boundaries define where our feelings end and the others begin. For example, we do, we do, do we take responsibility for our feelings and needs and allow others to do the same? 
or do we feel overly responsible for the feelings and needs of others and neglect our own? Are we able to say no? Can we ask for what we need? Are we compulsively people pleasers? Do we become upset simply because others are upset around us? Do we mimic the opinions of whomever we are around? The answers to these questions help define the property lines of our emotional boundaries. Together, our physical and emotional boundaries define how we interact with others and how we allow others to interact with us. Without boundaries, others could touch us in any way they wanted, do whatever they wished with our possessions, and treat us in ways that they desired. In addition, we would believe any, everyone else's bad behaviors are our fault, take on everyone else's problems as our own, and feel like we have no right to any rights. In short, our lives would be chaotic and out of control. So, boundaries can be too rigid or too loose. Those whose boundaries are too rigid literally shut out everyone from their lives. They appear aloof and distant, and they do not talk about feelings or show emotions. They exhibit extreme self-sufficiency and do not ask for help. They do not allow anyone to get physically or emotionally close to them. It is if they live in a house surrounded by an immense wall with no gates. No one is allowed in. Those whose boundaries are too loose put their hands on strangers and let others touch them inappropriately. They may be sexually promiscuous, confuse sex and love, be driven to be in a sexual relationship, and get too close to others too fast. They may take on the feelings of they may take the feelings of others on as their own, easily becoming emotionally overwhelmed, give too much, take too much, and be in constant need of reassurance. They may expect others to read their minds, think that they can read the minds of others, say yes when they want to say no. I know a thing or two about that and feel responsible for the feelings of others. Those with loose boundaries often lead chaotic lives full of drama as if they have lived in houses with no fences, gates, blocks, or even doors. Those with healthy boundaries are firm but flexible. They give support and they accept it. They respect their feelings, or they give support and accept support. They respect their feelings, needs, opinions, and rights, and those of others, but are clear about their separateness. They are responsible for their own happiness and allow others to be responsible for their happiness. They are assertive and respectful of the rights of others. Sorry, and respectful of the rights of others to be assertive. They are able to negotiate and compromise, have empathy for others, are able to make mistakes without damaging their self-esteem, and have an internal sense of personal identity. They respect diversity. Those with healthy boundaries are comfortable with themselves and make others comfortable around them. They live in houses with fences and gates that allow access only to those who respect their boundaries. Okay. Learning to set healthy boundaries can feel uncomfortable, even scary, because it may go against the grain of the survival, survival skills we learned in childhood, particularly if our caregivers were physically, sexually, or emotionally abusive. For example, we may have learned to repress our anger or other painful emotions because we would have been attacked and blamed for expressing the very pain the abuse had caused. Thus, attempting to set healthy boundaries as an adult may initially be accompanied by anxiety, but we must learn to work through these conditioned fears or we will never have healthy relationships. But this process of growth takes time, and our motto should always be progress, not perfection. Here are some healthy tips for setting healthy boundaries, and it's modified from the book Boundaries, Where You End and I Begin by Anne Catherine. The first one is when you identify the need to set a boundary, do it clearly, preferably without anger, and in as few words as possible. Do not justify, apologize for, or rationalize the boundary you're setting. Do not argue. Just set the boundary calmly, firmly, clearly, and respectfully. 
You can't set a boundary and take care of someone else's feelings at the same time. You're not responsible for the other person's reaction to the boundary you're setting. You're only responsible for communicating the boundary in a respectful manner. If others get upset with you, that is their problem. If they no longer want your friendship, then you're probably better off without them. You do not need friends who disrespect your boundaries. At first, you will probably feel selfish, guilty, or embarrassed when you set a boundary. Do it anyway, and tell yourself you have the right to take care of yourself. Setting boundaries takes practice and determination. Don't let anxiety or low self-esteem prevent you from taking care of yourself. When you feel anger or resentment, or find yourself whining or complaining, you probably need to set a boundary. Listen to yourself, then determine what you need to do or say. Then communicate your boundary assertively. When you are confident, you can set a healthy boundary with others. You will have less need to put up walls. When you set boundaries, you may be tested. Oh, yes, you will, especially by those accustomed to controlling you, abusing you, or manipulating you. Plan on it. Expect it. But remember, be firm. Your behavior must match the boundaries you are setting. You cannot establish a clear boundary successfully if you send a mixed message by apologizing for doing so. Be firm, be clear, and be respectful. Most people are willing to respect your boundaries. Some are not, however. Be prepared to be firm about your boundaries when they are not being respected. If necessary, put up a wall by ending the relationship. In extreme cases, you might have to involve the police, well, hopefully not, by sending a no-contact letter or, or obtaining a restraining order. <clears throat> Learning to set healthy boundaries takes time. It is a process. You will set boundaries when you are ready. It's your growth in your own time frame, not what someone tells you to do. Let your counselor or support group help you with the pace and process. Develop a support system of people who respect your right to set boundaries. Eliminate toxic people from your life those who want to manipulate you, abuse you, and control you. Setting healthy boundaries allows your true self to emerge. What an exciting journey that is. Okay, so for me, I don't even really know where to begin with boundaries because I'm kind of all over the map. <clears throat> but I think based on this reading material that you shared with us, Amanda, I would say from, you know, my childhood, I never really learned about boundaries, and in fact, I don't really think I even learned what boundaries really meant until I became sober, but I look back at these explanations, the various types of boundaries, and I'm pretty sure that I might have the most rigid boundaries of anybody I know, at least I feel <laughs> that way, and I really struggle with letting people help me, with letting people in, and now I see that by... That's also a way of trying to control people. So, you know, I'm really a work in progress, and I know that. I recognize The good thing is I recognize these things, but I still am learning. You know, I'm still really trying because really for me, boundaries, it, it sort of just feels uncomfortable, even almost scary, because it kind of goes against the grain of the survival skills I learned in childhood. You know, I, I think I learned to repress anger or other, even other painful emotions just because it wasn't acceptable. You know, I, I might have been attacked or blamed or whatever for expressing, you know, pain. But so I think I've really struggled with learning how to set healthy boundaries. It, it kind of carried over into my adulthood, but maybe I went the opposite way with it and build, r built really high, high fences. 
But, you know, I understand that I, that I have to work on this, and it does take time. Love the motto, love what you said earlier. Wait, or did I say it? I think I said it. Progress, not perfection. I love that. Right. <laughs> yeah. I did say it. Okay. You did. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think that for me, it's just, it's all a big work in progress. I feel like I've got a long way to go, but I also feel like I'm getting there. It's just basically taking, taking time. And for me, it really didn't start until, like I said earlier, sobriety and also talking to my counselor, my therapist. And then I was sort of able to start seeing myself in a separate way. I used to always feel, I used to feel separate in a way that was unhealthy, kind of like shameful and unworthy. And then I started to see that I kind of, I'd really been powerless over the behavior patterns I learned in childhood. So I've kind of learned how to, to redo things. And I, and I think that really helps with the, the guilt feelings that I used to use for, you know, so many, in so many ways. And I think I've learned the difference between guilt and shame. Mm. And that's really helped me a lot with, with boundaries for me because guilt, in my definition, involves behavior. And while shame is, you know, about our being. So I feel like I've come a long way. I still have a ways to go. Do you ever wish for a little bit of recovery inspiration on the go? Tiny Bubbles is a new podcast that brings you the best bits of the Bubble Hour podcast in quick little episodes, just 15 minutes long, but packed with wisdom, insight, and encouragement to live your life wholeheartedly and alcohol-free. Look for Tiny Bubbles wherever you get podcasts and subscribe today. Tiny Bubbles. Little bits of recovery goodness brought to you by the Bubble Hour. Sometimes all you need is a little pep talk so you can get back to living that beautiful life you're building. Thank you for being here, Holly. Hey, Lisa. Thanks. It's nice to be here. Yeah, I feel when I started thinking about this topic this week... I really came to the realization that setting appropriate boundaries was not something that ever even crossed my mind when I was drinking. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the natural next question would be, well, why not? And I think that an awful lot of it, a lot of the behavior that I accepted from other people that was unacceptable, I accepted it out of guilt because I knew that my behavior was suspect. I knew I was drinking too much. I knew that 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 inner turmoil was going on inside of me. And so, you know, I just I I I guess I thought I deserved it. I just accepted bad behavior from coworkers and I was my although I was not brought up in a, a house where there were no alcoholics in my immediate family, I come from a, a very long esteemed line of of alcoholism on both sides of my Scotch-Irish family. And my mother was an adult child of an alcoholic and was a perfectionist. That's how she deals with the universe. And so I always felt that I never measured up. You know, I was just no one, and to this day, no one can be 
as incredibly good at everything as my mother, and I'm recognizing that behavior now in sobriety. But it made me want to be such a people pleaser as well. Mm -hmm. And that's where an awful lot of my not setting boundaries came from because I was afraid that people wouldn't like me if I set boundaries. And I've been one of the areas in my life that I think that all of us who are mothers will relate to is that I now have an adult child who is struggling with addiction, with a painkiller addiction. And boy, talk about having to set boundaries because my instinct as a mother, of course, you love your child unconditionally. You want what's best for them. But it's, it's counterintuitive because the only way that any of us are going to come to the decision that our life is going to actually be better without the alcohol or the pills or whatever it is, is to hit bottom. And we as moms, we don't mm. want that for our kids. Right. We don't want them to hit bottom. But by not allowing that to happen, I'm enabling that behavior to continue, right? Because, well, it's not that bad. You know, I didn't uh, lose my license. I didn't lose my apartment. I didn't, you know, if, if mom and dad keep swooping in and rescuing me when I screw up. But, you know, there's that unconditional love thing. And this has been... It's, it's extremely painful for me to set boundaries and to stick to them. And what I've had to, the journey that I've had to take in this particular area is um, recognizing, do I love him enough to set appropriate boundaries to make him responsible for the choices that he makes because if I don't and if he continues down this path he could end up dead right mm -hmm. and how am I going to feel about my parenting then how am I going to feel about how much I love him then and so I just you know addiction and alcoholism we know leads to institutions and prison and death. That's where right. it leads. Right. And so do I love him enough? Do I love him enough to say no and to set boundaries, to not enable, to not give him money, to not rescue him? It's one thing to be able to know it intellectually and to say mm -hmm. the words. It's another thing, you know, when you're lying in your bed at 3 o'clock in the morning sobbing into your pillow because because it hurts and it's right. really really hard and so that's been an area that that <clears throat> i really had to struggle with this past 6 months and it's and it's really hard every day and i i think what was really helpful for me was i think it was lisa reading the part about set the boundary and then leave it alone i want to keep coming back to it and you know another reason that i you know i want to justify i want to explain so that you understand how much i love you uh, you know and i it really hit me between the eyes when she read that no i really i really don't need to do that because all of us as addicts or alcoholics or both know that the bottom line is that somebody loved you enough to want you well. 
mm-hmm. and and to support you in that journey and and that's the real love and we we as addicts and alcoholics will try to manipulate that well if you loved me you'd do this or you know how can you sit by and and not help that's all manipulation that's right. not love it's very and hard to remember that in the moment, though, I'm sure, Holly. It is Holly. very hard. And then with that most, that most precious of relationships, the one with your children, you know, with other adults, it, it's easier for me. <clears throat> and it's become right. easier the longer I have in sobriety. But, and and I, I, I have a, an example of, of boundary setting when I quit drinking. I did 99% of my drinking at home. And I was not a bar drinker. And so... I was thinking to myself, well, how on earth can I stop drinking? This is where I, well, I move, you know, sell the house. Right. <laughs> and so what I determined was that I was going to have the house be alcohol-free. I just felt that that would give, set me up for the best chance of success early on in sobriety. So I sat my, my boys down, and all three of them were in college, so they were living at home certain times during the year. And I said, okay, I've quit drinking, and I'm going to ask you guys to please not. They're, they're normies, thankfully, in, in terms of alcohol. I'm going to ask you guys not to bring alcohol into the house. And they all said, sure, Mom, and bounced out the door. You know, hear this traumatic conversation that I was going to have with them. And right. they all like, sure. <laughs> you know. And they did, and they stuck to it. And so the first Christmas, I stopped drinking in May. The first Christmas after I stopped drinking... My, we had the whole family over. My mother and my ex was here, and the boys were all here. And my ex got a case of wine delivered to the house here, opened it here, and I was playing a board game with some of the guys. We were playing Risk in the family room. And he proceeds to go into the kitchen and open several bottles of wine and hold a wine tasting in my kitchen. Oh, wow. I was... I couldn't, and I had spoken to him, too, and I had told him that why and that I was not drinking and that there was, you know, no alcohol in the house. And my first reaction, again, that the, the reading, I think it was Amanda who had said, you know, about the anger, my first reaction was I was livid. Yeah. But I, but I didn't react because that would have drawn the boys into it. They would have right. been, you know, it would have, so I didn't say a word at that time. And then later on, I said, you know, I, I spoke to him and I said, I just found that incredible that you would have done that. And, you know, it, 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 please, please do not bring alcohol into the house. Please do not drink here. I, I mean, I just can't, I, if you, I said, pretend I'm a friend. <laughs> Pretend you like me. And, and if you would, you go to a friend's house who was in the program and bring alcohol and drink it in their kitchen? You know, so I was able to, to have that conversation and to, and to, you know, but sometimes even when you set boundaries, the people you least suspect will crawl. Would, yes, they do. Right. Would push the boundary. So, and he had um. Well, this is why he's my ex and not my current <laughs> communication. His his response was, "Oh, well, you know, I guess. I mean, like, what? Do you okay. you didn't notice that you were opening bottles of wine and and tasting them and talking about them and 
which wine you liked better in my kitchen with me sitting three feet away. Mm-hmm. So, oh. you know, I, I did not think it was unintentional, but he never owned up to it. So Okay. But anyway, so, so that's, that's just, you know, two examples of in my own family where I've, I've had to, now that, I've, now that I have a few more 24 hours under my belt, it doesn't bother me in the least. If there's alcohol in the in the right. fridge, if one of the boys, you know, throws a couple beers in the fridge, I don't even think about it. But in early sobriety, it was very important to me that I felt that my home was safe, that right. when I came here at the end of the day, there would not be alcohol in the house, and I felt that I, I had the right to <clears throat> to ask that. And the boys were extremely respectful of it, and and as you, you know, happy for me that that right. that I was doing this. So, so those are those are my the two first examples that popped into my mind. Take good care is a new collection of recovery readings inspired by the Bubble Hour. If you love the encouragement and support you find here on this podcast, then this new book is for you. Visit thebubblehour.com for more information or check the show notes for a link to purchase. You'll find Take Good Care on Amazon Worldwide. Take Good Care, recovery reading inspired by the Bubble Hour, the perfect gift for yourself and friends. Help others find the message of recovery we champion on the Bubble Hour. Plus, get access to the entire backlist ad-free by joining us on Patreon. Patron support helps with the ongoing expense of making free versions of the show available, as well as the cost to make new content like our spin-off podcast, Tiny Bubbles. Become a Bubble Hour patron today at patreon.com slash thebubblehour and help us help others through stories of strength and hope. This is Amanda. You know, I never grew up really understanding about boundaries at all. And because I didn't understand boundaries, I couldn't respect other people's boundaries, if that makes, if that makes sense. So it was, it, and it wasn't until I was in recovery that I learned about boundaries. And I actually learned about them in an outpatient program. And when, you know, the, the counselor, you know, put it, you know, said, well, we're going to talk about boundaries today. I'm like, what does this have to do with, you know, not drinking? And then, you know, we right. went through it and I'm like, Wow. Everything. <laughs> everything. Right. right. <laughs> it, everything. It has so much to do with drinking because there's, I mean, especially for me in early sobriety, there's a, there were a lot of boundaries that I needed to set for myself to protect myself. And, and actually I did, well, I guess I'm, my mind's all over the place here, but in the, I had, I think prior to getting sober, I had close to zero boundaries. And, you know, one example that just popped into my head was something either that we read or someone said was, you know, with people in your space, one thing my ex-husband used to comment on all the time is we would be out somewhere, you know, standing at a bar or whatever with, you know, other people. And some, I'd go up to get a couple drinks for someone and some strange guy would start talking to me. And I'd be chatting away, and you know, and I'd, then I'd go back over to my husband, and he'd be mad at me. <laughs> and I'm like, "What is your problem?" And and he was he was like, "That guy was hitting on you." And I'm like, "No, he was just being friendly." And 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 I'm like, "We were just chatting." And he was like, "No, he was hitting on you." He's like, "You're an idiot." <laughs> and 
it was, it, but I had no understanding how, or I, I don't know if it was because I was half lit or what it was that, that he was, that the person would be invading my space. And yeah. I would just, you know, it, it just like everything just kind of rolled off my back, like, you know, like a duck, like everything just any, any, some, I would let everything slide, like people invading my space, people talking negatively or, you know, anything where they were crossed. I didn't know my boundaries at all. I had no sense of myself and what I needed, wanted, desired, you know, what my limitations were. I really didn't have that because I was all about making sure that other people around me were happy. And if someone made me uncomfortable, I would find a way to get out of the situation without hurting their feelings. And I look back at it, there were, you know, especially, you know, because I did go out to, to bars and stuff like that, and whether it be by myself, my friends, or my husband, or whatever, and, you know, typically in bars, you know, sometimes people are inappropriate. And I was actually on a work conference once, and someone who I thought was some, someone that I trusted was very inappropriate to me. And I was polite where he deserved a slap across the face in what he said to me. And I was, I was polite in dismissing myself from the situation. And I did do that. I did, you know, say, oh, my, you know, like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm, you know, I, 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 I'm, I, I'm really not interested. But he made an, a really inappropriate comment to me after talking about his wife for about, like, 10 minutes. So it was totally caught me off guard. But I, I look back, and I was polite about yeah. removing myself from that situation, which he did not deserve one ounce of politeness. But that was the extreme that I went to, to, you know, to people please and to make sure that I didn't hurt anyone's feelings. And, you know, even though he had com really offended me. So, you know, you know, when I learned about these boundaries, I didn't realize how much I crossed into other people's boundaries and how I had zero. And then when I got sober and I learned about boundaries and, you know, like Holly, I, I, you know, there was not going to be any alcohol in my house. I had, I needed to let people know in my, when I went back to work in my workplace, I let certain people know that I had quit drinking because that's what I felt I needed to do. I, I built really huge walls uh, around myself in early sobriety. And some may even say extreme, you know, kind of like Lisa was saying, you know, having, you know, having really rigid, you know, it was, I would just flat out not do certain things. I was like, nope, that's going to put me at risk. I'm not going to do it. And, you know, if that meant going, if there was a function that I was invited to and people wanted me to go to, and I felt that it was um, going to put me at risk, I would just flat out not go. And I would just say no, and I and I would, I I wouldn't even necessarily explain myself, and I didn't even really understand at the time that I was actually doing a good job setting boundaries because I wasn't explaining myself. I was just, I didn't know what else to do except for mm -hmm. just to protect my sobriety. And you know, as time has gone by, and I have you know more confidence in my sobriety, and I'm more comfortable with my sobriety, those, you know, I think I have healthy boundaries now where, you know, there are certain things, you know, I will go to them, but I, you know, if there's an event, you know, for work or something where I know there's going to be drinking, I will go to it with the condition that I, you know, I have the ability to leave whenever I want to. You know, I always have a plan for, you know, what, you know, you know, how to get myself out of a situation if, 
if it's going to make me uncomfortable at all. So that's, you know, that's one example for me. So that's something where my boundaries have changed through the course of my sobriety. So I went from no boundaries to extremely rigid boundaries to, you know, now what I think are healthy boundaries. But it took practice and it took time. Mm -hmm. And I've also had to set um, boundaries with people in my life. People, there were people in my early sobriety that were giving me advice and direction and putting a lot of pressure on me. We talk a lot about early sobriety, especially or in sobriety in general. You need to really keep it in the day kind of not project a year from now this is going to happen and, you know, start awfulizing the, the future and you not projecting too far out into the future. I mean, I had people in my life that were kind of predicting things down the road for me and I just had to, I had to put a stop to that in a very respectful way to say, you know, I really, I really cannot think that way right now. Like some of it was I had some pending court dates. And uh, someone very close to me had, had advised me that I kind of needed to get my affairs in order because I may go to jail. And uh, at the time, that uh, I, I could not even deal with that concept. I couldn't deal with Tuesday, never mind, you know, what to do about some of the court things that I had two yeah, months down the road. So, you know, setting, you know, letting people know how I felt about things in a respectful way was very important to me in early sobriety. And um, just one other thing to add to that, kind of what you, with your, that situation with your ex-husband, Holly, one thing I have learned is with my setting my boundaries, I try to do them up front, try to make clear, you know, what I want, being respectful of what other people want. But when I have a situation where someone crosses a boundary that I have set, I... I don't react to it immediately, necessarily. I, I, I take a pause and make sure that I can follow up on it in a constructive manner and, you know, speak to them in a rational manner, manner rather than in anger. Because in the past, that's also something when, when I was drinking and something happened where I was upset. My react, if someone crossed a boundary, even though I didn't know they were crossing a boundary, my reaction was to act out in anger. And so that's something that I really, I can't afford to do today. Okay, friends, that's it for this shorter episode. But if you'd like to hear the remainder of this conversation, it is available on Patreon to our members there. You will see a link in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, for being part of the Bubble Hour community. We're glad that these archives remain available to you as a resource. We want you to remember you're not alone. There's a lot of us walking this sober walk, and it's a great life. Thank you so much for listening. Take good care. I own it. I did that. Not proud, but that was me. And when I face it, I take back a little dignity. Not looking for excuses. I just want to be free from the power weakness had on me. In a dark corner is where shame likes to hide. We think you're strong just cause you'll keep it on the side. It just stays in wait there to rob you of your pride. i
Just want to be free from 